We're back! Apologies for the unexpected hiatus. We'll give a little update on where we've been, and then we'll get into a review of the movie Spookies on this return episode of Scary Stuff. Welcome back to the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is Eric Dellinger, joined by co-host Nick Leamy. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. And Jacob Jones Goldstein. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. (laughs) (laughs) Time means nothing, because I'm counting no age. Boy, I had to think of that second line there for a second. (laughs) Well, we were talking about this, and all day I've had the the gorillas running through my head. And I like, you know, it's just Del the Funky Homo Sapien as soon as we hit record. Rawr! You know? Well, you going raw is going to come up here in just a second. <laughs> yeah, so even before we get in the movie. So, yeah, just a quick catch up, just because I feel like we should probably just mention briefly. This is our first episode back since uh, December 31st would have been the last episode. It's been a while. We'll get into the movie we're doing. It's not Behind the Mask, which is what we said the, the next movie was going to be. That episode's coming. We'll talk more about that later. I don't want to get too far into details. So I don't want to start super heavy. If for some reason this goes long, I'll put a timestamp in the description for when we talk about the movie. But just since this was a bigger gap than usual, so just to bring folks up to speed, uh, I had a really crappy start of the year. I had a really bad, I've talked a lot about mental health stuff on multiple episodes, even as recently as the Something in the Dirt one. But I had a really bad plummet at the start of this year and also had in tandem with that some physical health issues that i've been dealing with for a while but one of them like i've been having a lot of trouble with my eyes and it was making it really difficult to edit the podcast but it was mainly the mental thing and and so it just kind of ended up being this perfect convergence of things and just feeling you know really depressed and really like i let people down one of the fun things about having a podcast is when you have depression and you have an outlet like this now you have metrics for your depression <laughs> so it's like if you want to quantify exactly how you fail people all right let's look at the numbers <laughs> <laughs> so apologies for this i didn't expect it to go as long as it was and, and the way my brain kind of worked is when i really fall off i have a very big avoidance thing where i kind of have to box everything up and like not look at it so i've haven't really looked at our twitter I have a little like wrestling subsection of Twitter because that's been my solace was getting really into wrestling the past few months, particularly Japanese women's wrestling. So respect. I'd be surprised if some weird ass Joshi references come up. Like my dream at this point is to get another wrestling guest back on, like get John Lee's back from our Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker episode and just have him. And I just want to like fantasy book, like horror final girls and stardom factions. Like, all right, Laurie Strode is in God's eye. Uh, Sydney Prescott, Soweto Tai. Christy Cotton's got to be Queen's Quest, just for the alliteration. Uh, Nancy Thompson's in Stars, but... The problem with John Lee's is we get him back, we need to make sure Jake can't make it. <laughs> yeah, we can only have one Jacob, I guess. Yeah, one Jacob. Oh no, because when he comes back, I'm going to be talking to him at length about the nasty. Yeah, we're, we're probably going to be bringing the nasty up. Well, I'm probably going to touch on some podcast stuff here in just a moment, but his book, The Nasty, is going to be tangentially tied into the movie we're talking about tonight but. well because i look i rarely pre-order books but I, I pre-ordered the nasty because you know of our episode and, and talking to john lee's and boy was that a good move because that book is fucking great i've loved every issue from fall issue yeah. two just came out i think i haven't gone through this week's books yet but yeah 
issue one was terrific and it's coming out from vault i don't know how many issues it's running but as always we love the shit out of vault so just pick up any vault stuff you can oh jake's got it yep issue two i have it next to me because i'm recording in my office instead of the studio because nick is in my studio because not only did Eric have a bad couple we'll of get months. into what everyone else's start of the year is. Yeah, we're going to so, talk some more about that. That was another thing too, which is with all my various issues. And real quick, I'll just throw up before we get into y'all. Like, is I'm certainly in a better place now. Yay! You know, for now, always going to be you know hills and valleys, whatever. But also, like, I'm working on my physical issues. I've kind of been checking things off. The next one is kind of the most alarming one, so we'll see how that goes. But been eating better going for walks, things like that. So trying to be in a better place. I also want to mention too, I don't, I won't mention who the person is, but there was a listener of our podcast who did send me a very, very thoughtful gift around Christmas. And I do want to, to just say if that person's listening that, and I've told them this directly, but the that thing they sent to us as, as a little memento for the pod was something that meant an awful lot to me. And my dip would have been probably a lot worse than it already was. And it was bad. But that helped quite a bit. And so, yeah, doing better now. And But also part of the reason that the start of the year was rough was I had, like, I kind of went off, like, right after we recorded Behind the Mask, which was around, like, January 5th, 6th. Jake references it in the episode because he mentions it's on David Bowie's birthday. And then I felt like I inadvertently cursed y'all by proxy after that. Oh, no, because I'd already been on the downward spiral for several months at that point. <laughs> you were on a downward spiral. You mentioned that. In, to be in honest, the, uh, my shit started in August. You mentioned that at least in the Leech episode. Yeah, our Christmas episode is a little heavy in the beginning. But yeah, yeah. no. And and then the, the few months since we've recorded, it's not like things have gotten better. I, I just because I don't care. So like one of the ongoing issues I have is my I take care of my mother, who is 81 currently. She was on a kind of a downward trend. She's actually bounced back quite a bit, but on my birthday, she had a house fire that basically rendered her house inhabitable and we had to move her. You know, she was in the hospital for a little while after that, and she's been in a rehab clinic since, and we have been scrambling to find a new place for her to live. And in fact, this Thursday, the Thursday after this is when we're moving into her new place. So like after months of, like just constant medical and stuff that came to a head at that point. Like, like at one point I was in a concert in New York city and got a call that she had fallen oh. as I was leaving the city at midnight, oh, you know, and, and I, we don't live in New York city. So this is a three hour drive for, I went right to the hospital and was there for another 12 hours. Oh. So that's what it's been like for me, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. My mom is doing much better. You know, we're we're getting close to having the house taken care of. So, you know, these things, the ebb and flow, this has been a particularly low ebb. But I'm glad to be back because, you know, I love you guys. And this is always a special thing that we do. And One love, know, baby. I hate it when we're all, at least we, we kind of, it's like that myth of women syncing up cycles. We just synced up disasters for several months. And uh, so I wouldn't here we call are. mine a disaster, but it was definitely been stressful. You know, yeah. because, you know, late last year, we decided that while we loved where we were living, two bedrooms was not enough for me, my wife and two children. It was because <laughs> they were getting too old. It was going to be problematic soon enough. So we started looking for homes, started packing up, getting our place all staged and whatnot. And happy to report that in January, we successfully sold our home. Yeah. But of course, the market is awful right now <laughs> it is a goddamn mm-hmm. disaster 
you got like a hundred people all scrambling for the same place. And so it took us four months of uh, renting uh, an apartment to finally find the home of our dreams. We got it. Well, hey, we, we signed hey. next month at least, but basically it's all done but the signatures. And uh, really looking forward to just getting settled in a new place and slowing down for a bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm really struggling to not make it Nick's problem as a Fraggle Rock money problem. Oh my right God. <laughs> God, God. Okay, so here's the deal. Now to merge our lives. So here I am, a good friend to my fellow podcaster, Jake. And, and his, I incredibly appreciate it. And his mom is going through some stuff right now. And part of that involves, you know, dealing with what's left of the home. So I, of course, turn my children into indentured servants and bring them to Jake's place to help pack up some stuff and get the place cleaned up. It was great. And so they're amazing. I'm making boxes as fast as they can fill them. We're doing really good time. Run out of boxes, removing some heavy furniture. And then my traitor of a daughter. <laughs> The, my my little Judas, Jake's just sitting there drinking his water, and she comes through and unprompted decides to pick on me and says that's because I have Fraggle Rock money. Oh my god! Oh my god! His daughter called him Fraggle Rock money, and it might have been the most proud moment of my life. Good, good. At that point, I was like, ah, "Okay, it's time to make Fraggle Rock money true." I'm going to do that by selling my daughter because <laughs> she's a traitor. Parody humor. We haven't seen your new place yet, but I've, I've seen photos of your new place—the place you'll be moving into—and I saw it's got that big deck. So if you ever do a housewarming thing, I'm just going to sneak off. Maybe have Jake like help cut like the lattice from the side out so we can stick <laughs> doozers underneath <laughs> this is where the fraggles <laughs> our, our housewarming gift to you is going to be an hbo subscription <laughs> lifetime subscription hbo well by that point it'll just be max i guess but yeah i refuse to acknowledge that <laughs> like how does everybody get hbo the the most you know prestigious of all this and end up with fucking cinemax come on <laughs> That's like that's too much of a metaphor for our existence in this country right now. But yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear things are turning around for for everybody. Me you know, too. On wood. Yeah, and and it is great to be chatting with you guys again. Uh, before we dive into the movie real quick, one of the things I wanted to mention was because we've been gone so long, just touch on a couple items related to some previous podcast episodes. Because, like I mentioned, I have a complete like avoidance thing, so I hadn't been like looking at anything remotely related to the pod, and now that I've kind of been easing my way back into the pod waters again uh, i've been reading stuff um so like we had jam Demattis on for our halloween episode Hell yeah. his demultiverse trade is out now you know i i listened to that episode today while i was working on the house and God, boy, what a sweetheart man he's yeah. delightful he is delightful it was a lovely episode it, and that demultiverse so i got we backed the kickstarter so i got the trade version of it that has all the first issues it's fabulous so you can go pick that up at uh, we'll link to it on our twitter i think it's spellboundcomics.com that was great john lee's book the nasty's been great erica henderson has a new book out with ryan north called danger and other unknown risks Yay! follow up real quick on one that i had mentioned in a previous episode not related to someone we've had on the pod but i'd mentioned this was a book i was looking forward to ling hung from dark matter press and this is by author i jung came out and this was 
one of the first things I read when I finally started getting into reading things that reminded me of the pod again. Novella length story that's basically this kind of ephemeral ghost story that dealing with grief. And I thought it was absolutely terrific. I love I Jung's short fiction work, but I absolutely love that novella. And Jake and Nick can attest, I'm actually drinking from my Lung Hoon mug Yay. that I got from. So it's got the cover on there. So I encourage everyone to go out to Dark Matter. I think you can get the book on Amazon, but you can get it from Dark Matter directly, darkmattermagazine.shop. And while you're there, another mug I picked up happens to be the mug that ties in with Haunted Reels, Haunted which Reels. is an anthology coming up from Dark Matter, Yay. which is edited by friend of the pod, Dave Lawson Jr. Yay. So that's coming out in July. So you can go and pre-order that via Dark Matter as well. So there's two books. I've got a bunch of other books I've picked up from Dark Matter. So I'll probably be touching on those in future episodes as I work through them. But I love the hell out of Ling Hung. We are ridiculously excited for Haunted Reels. So go support Dark Matter Press. So I just want to throw this out there. Also, author named Lauren Bolger. This is her debut novel, Kill Radio, which I'm about a third of the way through and very much enjoying. It's a very kind of breezy horror read about a uh, crystal, a homemade crystal radio that opens a portal to hell. Lauren is a big fan of Constantine, the character, and there is a warlock character in there who's kind of very Constantine inspired, uh, has the same initials. I just listened to that episode, too. That was what I wanted to touch on. So yeah, so yeah, everyone, go check out Kill Radio. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm enjoying it so far. And Ling Hung, I finished and I love. Before we're done plugging, I just want to say the Vigil from by DC Rom Comics v. by Rom V was out this week, Rom and I, I just I was actually reading it while I was waiting for Nick to get here, and it's fantastic. It's a really good, awesome like, for for a debut issue. I was I'm just absolutely hooked. I loved it. I got it. I haven't read it yet, so I'm looking forward to it. I did, this has been a big week for number ones. Titans number one came out by oh. Tom Taylor and Nicholas Scott. That book was really good. Avengers number one came out by Jed McKay. I've been loving Jed's Moon Knight work. Cyborg. And that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, a lot of great comics coming out. But on the subject of the Constantine episode, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into our movie here in just a second. But So, I mentioned... I have a hard time dealing with anything pod related, but recently I went for a long drive to visit friends of the pod, Anna and Shannon. And I was like, all right, I know we're going to be recording again soon. So I'll do, I'll put a couple episodes of the pod on and see if I can listen. This isn't anything indicative of you guys. It's just hearing my own voice and all the, you Get know, the groove negative yeah. thoughts. That, well, it's just, so it was kind of getting past all the negative thoughts that come from hearing my own voice again, hearing, you know, my idiotic comments, blah, blah, blah. And I was listening to a couple episodes of the pod just two that I really enjoyed. And I was like, well, this is, this is pretty fun. Yeah. Said, and it really made me start feeling better about things. So my prep for getting back and us recording tonight was listening to a couple episodes that, yeah, kind of make me happy. And yeah, it made me feel a little bit better about things. Nick's coming in like, yeah, I got to talk horror movies with my friends. Yeah, fuck yeah. Jake's prep, as he mentioned, was listening. What episode did he listen to? The Constantine episode. <laughs> the angriest Jake has ever been on this podcast. <laughs> So I come into these episodes basically doing deep breaths, like, okay, just calm down, calm down, put the anxiety at bay. It's all right. You're just talking hard with your friends. Nick's like, yay, happy fun talking with my friends. And Jake apparently preps for these episodes like it's fucking any given Sunday. And he's just in the back, like, just slapping his cheeks. Up. Ooh, ooh, ah. Kill, kill. Podcasting is a game of inches. On this team, we fight for that inch. On his pod, we tear ourselves and everyone around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. I, 
tell me he's wrong. Tell me he's wrong. I dare you. <laughs> I don't. I don't like how right that is. <laughs> <laughs> because we know when all up all the inches, that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing, <laughs> between living and dying. I like for Jake, it's like the inches. For me, it's like Mardi Gras. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mentioned I listened to our Halloween episode with J.M.D. Mateus, and one of the things that was happening on that particular day is the Sixers were playing the Celtics and losing <laughs> yep. to them. Uh, the Sixers, this we're recording this in May. That, yep, May. And the Sixers... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That's what kind of year it's been. <laughs> recording this in 2023, I think. <laughs> Have lost to the Celtics in the, in the playoffs, which is the kind of trauma that I'm still working my way through because I'm, you know, mentally damaged enough to be a sports fan. And on that episode, I talk about that and I say repeatedly fire Doc Rivers. Well, I can, I'm happy to report as of this recording, Doc Rivers has been fired. It took a disastrous end of the season and a cowardly turn from our two superstars in the last game to get it to happen, but it happened. And, you know, Joel won the MVP in a huge constant argument against Nikola Jokic, who's going to probably win the title. And, you know, everybody, like every time he has a good game, he's like, ah, oh, this is bad for, you know. But here's the thing. Embiid won the MVP this year. Whatever Jochik does in the postseason doesn't affect that. So all those people can die mad. So I'm kind of enjoying it. <laughs> like, I'm enjoying how all these people are saying, well, I should have voted for him. I can't believe this, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just like, motherfucker, he won it. Go fuck yourself. You want to see a picture of the trophy? And so, yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> You got to give credit where credit's due, man. You manifested this shit. I'm enjoying the rival's <laughs> success because all of these assholes that love him are just so furious about it. And it's just, it's making me happy and it's making me get over the uh, the loss of the Sixers. Although, to be fair, right after the Sixers' seventh game loss, I went out to a concert with a bunch of 20-somethings in a circle pit and showed them what a circle pit is actually about and what moshing really is. <laughs> As a 48-year-old man built out of, you know, spite and fury. And Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to teach some kids some new things that night, as well as get over the loss. So really, it's been, things have been looking up. That's all I'm saying. Doc Rivers has been fired. So I never have to bring him up on this pod again. I'm probably going to, because again, I run on spite and bad vibes. But that w That's a deep wound. It's going to take a while to close. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, because the media started doing this thing. It's like, well... You know, that was a reactionary fire, and, you know, he was a good coach. And blah, blah, blah. No, fuck you. The, the biggest problem was that they shouldn't have hired him three years ago. So, anyway, I, I realize nobody who listens to this cares about the Little Sixers updates, but I have a spleen that needs venting, and <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Wait till we talk about this fucking movie. Well, let's get the best part out of the way for you guys. Like, tell me what you thought about the Richard Corbin Ah. involvement in the poster art i have the stupid I, I don't like richard corbin's art i never No, have. you don't <laughs> uh, it, it, he just, his art has always bugged me from you know issues like he ran to pick up a random issue of heavy metal flip through it's like uh well not reading that story <laughs> so uh, have we even said the name of the movie it's spookies Spookies. yeah so we're doing spookies and and it's this horrible movie about these mutant spiders no. And I can't believe you guys made me watch it. One, maybe two. There's a tiny one. It was one. awful. <laughs> there was supposed to be more. Well, it's all about spiders. What, what are you talking about? It's entirely about these mutant spiders. Oh, crap. He watched... Oh, wait, I'm talking about Creepies. He watched right, Creepies. Right, never mind. He watched the wrong movie. <laughs> no. 
I didn't, but I figured I wasn't going to get the name right at any point, so I figured I'd get that out of the way. Anyway, so you mentioned Corbin, and I happened to be looking through the uh, the IMDb trivia for this one, because I didn't have a whole lot to say. But, oh, I've got some interesting stuff in the movie. But there's this one comment in the trivia on IMDb, which is increasingly a cesspool. <laughs> and it, it, it says, The promotional artwork showing Maria Pachukas being carried by monsters is by popular comic artist Richard Corbin. One of Corbin's artistic traits was depicting women with massive breasts, which he did again for the poster. Even though Pachuca's breasts weren't anywhere near that size, the outfit she wore in the movie wasn't severely low-cut either. And all I could think is, that's a complaint. This guy is complaining <laughs> that her breasts weren't large enough to match the cover box. Yeah, they should really add a new subsection to INDB under goofs for gripes or something. Yeah, I mean, that's where that goes. But yeah, I, I, I actually kind of like the movie box cover. I mean, it's got a distinct 80s yeah, it's well done. vibe to it. Like, again, I don't really like Corbin's art, but it's not... I mean, that's a personal preference thing. I don't think he's a bad artist or anything. It's just something about his style doesn't click with me. But I thought that was kind of a fun box. Way far more fun than the movie. Let's be honest here. This film only stands on its visuals, for starters. I mean, because... So, the film, as uh, you may or may not know, audience, was produced by Michael Lee, who, I swear to God, listening to people talk about him, he was the fucking devil. (laughs) Everybody wants him to rot in hell for what he did People did not care for this man. Yeah, and I can see it, too. No, no one who worked on the first chunk of the movie first, or, well... We'll get to what we mean by that when we get into the movie. We'll get, yeah, we'll get more into the parts that he like royally screwed over like personally. But in the end, what you end up with are two different films rammed together, wrapped up, and sold as a single item. And it really doesn't work. It really breaks the story in the most interesting ways. But it has some of the most delightful makeup work. I love the monsters in this. Like, just top to bottom. Like, well, okay, let's be clear here. Mm-hmm. I like the Twisted Souls monsters here. From the one movie, anything involving with that plotline and those characters, which we'll get into later, is delightful. All of the, like, single craptastic puppets they threw in for the warlock side of things can go, like, you know, burn in hell for all I care about. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love, like, the, the Spider-Woman... I love the Reaper. I mean, it, it, it's corny as hell, but I loved it. The Mermen, it's like top to bottom, all the stuff that they put into the makeup for the Twisted Souls production. Wow, I love this movie for it. Well, here's the thing: singular. Yeah, no, it's not singular. No, he's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, but it's 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 very much there's a distinct issue with this that really kind of sums up everything in in my opinion for this. So this isn't a movie. This is a test reel for a haunted house. (laughs) Fair. Like, if you think of this as, like, you know, all the makeup and all the stuff, and these people running around the house and seeing a different monster in a different room, it it functions like a haunted house. Yep. And then they just, like, that's not going to make us enough money. Let's make it a movie. Let's hire some 40-year-old teenagers and have them pretend to act for a little while. The age range in this is amazing. Oh, we'll get into the group (laughs) here in a minute, yeah. But to reel it back, the reason we're doing Spookies, well, I mean, not necessarily for this. I mean, we picked this because we wanted to tee off on something kind of easy. Yeah. Like I said, the Behind the Mask episode is coming for our return episode. I wanted us to do, we talked about a few things, but it was like, all right, I hadn't seen this. I hadn't either. I had seen chunks of it. I'd seen enough chunks of it to know basically, you know, what to expect. But I was like, all right, it's not too heavy. 
There's going to be a lot of fun things to talk about, and we've talked about doing it on the pod before, so it should be a great you know, way to kind of segue us back in. And the reason we talked about it on the pod before is mainly because you brought it up. Right, because I actually have a personal history with this film, to a degree. You know, it's a couple steps removed, but it's distinctly there. So the movie is filmed entirely in the house and on the grounds of the Jay House in Rye, New York. John Jay, yep. I'll read you the beginning of the, the Wikipedia entry because I think it kind of gives a good brief overview of it. The Jay Estate is a 23-acre park and historic site in Rye, New York, with the 1838 Peter Augustus Jay House at its center. It is the keystone of the Boston Post Road Historic District, a national historic landmark district created in 1993. The site is the surviving remnant of the 400-acre farm where U.S. founding father John Jay grew up. It's also the place where Jay returned to celebrate the end of the Revolutionary War as he negotiated the 1783 Treaty of Paris with fellow peacemakers John Adams and Benjamin Franklin. The preserved property is located on the south side of the Boston Post Road, and blah, blah, blah. The Jay Estate is recognized as a historical resource. It is part of a 10,000-year-old indigenous people's archaeological site and overlooks the oldest man-managed meadow on record in New York State. It is a significant African-American heritage trail site. The Jay Estate is also one of the select few landmarks devoted to the education about the seven founding fathers, including Washington's Mount Vernon, Jefferson's Monticello, Hamilton's The Grange, Madison's Montpelier, and Jay's retired home, the John Jay Homestead. So, all that's pretty interesting. You know, you see the the mansion is, is, you know, kind of the main character of the film. So, the thing is, is the descendants of John Jay, uh, eventually there was one lady named Zilf Palmer Devereaux, who donated the 23-acre upland parcel of her Rye estate to the annual conference of the Methodist Church. Ah! So, from, I forget, it's a little weird in terms of the years, but the Methodist, the New York Annual Conference of the Methodist Church used the actual building as their conference center for quite a while. It's like four years, five years before moving to White Plains. My father worked there. He worked part-time as a minister when we lived in uh, Stanford, Connecticut, where I grew up. And he worked part-time, because Rye is, is just over the border in New York. It's like 30 minutes from, from where I was. And he worked in the building. So I have been in the building a lot when it was the conference center. So in 1979, the New York conference sold it to some real estate developers, which kicked off a something like a 17-year fight to preserve it because they wanted to, the real estate developers wanted to tear everything down and to develop the land. Cause it's a hugely valuable piece of land. It goes to New York, you know, the, to the Long Island sound. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful estate too. It was kind of dilapidated at that point. Not really dilapidated, but not in use. And that was in 1979. The conference used it for another year or so, year or two, but my parents got divorced in 1980 and my father needed a place to live. And because he was working there and he was now going to go be working full time for the conference rather than being a part time, you know, parish minister. in there, He lived in the carriage house. They gave him the carriage house to live in for it was about two years. The carriage house, which is now a performing arts center, was where my father moved after the divorce. So I spent almost every weekend of my young life, you know, when I was like five to six or seven in this place and there's like i have wow. a zillion pictures of us wandering these grounds because there's gardens there's these stone lions back there 
that we would used to walk over to. And there's all these pictures of us in these kind of rundown gardens that have since been restored. But we also spent a lot of time in the house because at the time, until they vacated, which was like 80, 81, you know, he worked there. So he was living in this carriage house. But we, we spent a lot of time. We were there for a blizzard on these estates. There's pictures of us with these giant, you know, snow forts we built and all this. So I, I have been in this house a lot all over. I and, mean, you know, my brother and I were young. So, that you know, when even when my dad was working, they just let us run around this house. Man. And he lived on the, the estate. So and eventually, you know, the developers wanted everybody gone. So he, he, you know, he moved somewhere else. And, you know, that's not really horror movie history. But so I've been in the house actually after they cleaned out. And I still have a little plastic gemstone from one of the chandeliers. <laughs> which I, I just found because it was in a box in my mom's house and I wouldn't have even seen it if we had been moving everything out. And in fact, I confirmed all this with my dad because the dates were a little weird, but I was talking to him about it tonight and you know how he ended up there. So, And even in that period, some of good friends of the family got married and I have a lot of pictures of them getting married on the front steps because at that point the building was closed to them. Oh, wow. But they got married on the front steps and had you know spent time on the... Uh, the grounds and you, you see a lot of the grounds in this like the, the oh, scene yeah. <laughs> in, well in the reshoots the scene that makes the least amount of sense in the entire movie which is where the kid is talking to the drifter and the drifter is in those trees <laughs> that tree the grounds had these giant trees like that I, I climbed in the tree that that guy is sitting on like i know exactly where that was did you eat a, a two-pack of snowballs yeah <laughs> that drifter was so not okay which he had to open with a screwdriver so, like, all of the scenes in this and, you know, all the house, like, I have memories of. And it, it, it kind of lends itself to one of my bigger problems with the movie is because the house, at the time, was recovering from being a United Methodist Conference Center. It is not a scary house. <laughs> There's nothing in that house that is creepy. It's very kind of, even, even in a little bit of a dilapidated state, which it was by that, because this was filmed in 85, which is about three years after I was in there. So that, that actually kind of goes into my ne- when a question I had, which was, did your father encounter any peculiar goings on while he was there? I assume not. But no. I mentioned that because, so I picked up the Vinegar Syndrome two-disc Blu-ray that came out for this, and there's two documentaries on here. Uh, one of them is... <laughs> Can you imagine two documentaries about this pile of horse well, shit? Only it's one huge. of them spookies. One of them is, <laughs> is called Vipco, The Untold Story, and oh, it's all Vipco. about Michael Lee. So we'll, we'll get oh, to yeah. him when Nick does the production rundown. So it's, it's a Michael Lee-centric doc. The other one is called Twisted Tale, The Unmaking of Spookies, and it's primarily talking to the folks who were making what initially started as a movie called Twisted Souls. We'll get more into that later. And it's talking about their process, but they mention they're talking to one of the directors and some of the other folks. They mentioned that there was just a lot of weird shit going on there. Like person who worked on the ground said, oh, has anyone come to visit you, you know, from up there and pointed to the sky. And apparently while they were filming, a coven of witches showed up and they said, hey, can we go take care of something upstairs? And they said, oh, yeah, if, if you're quick. And so these witches went upstairs and then the director's like, all right. And he sent like a, the assistant director says, can you go up and tell the witches they got to leave? And he goes up and comes back down. And he goes, they're gone. Oh my God. He says, oh, you mean they left? He said, no, they're just gone. There's no car. There's, we didn't hear a car pull out. There's, they're just gone. <laughs> I no, we never encountered it. And you know, like, and I've talked repeatedly about me being a little wuss. I was never scared in this house. Like, I was just never creeped out about anything. And, you know, normally a big old house like that, I would be like, I get get scared my own fucking basement now. And, you know, this house never scared me as a kid. 
I will say this. I do know that one of the, the reasons this movie got made and they got permission was because the developers were in this like 17 year fight because the developers, like I said, wanted to tear it down. They were hoping the movie company would wreck the ransack the place. Yeah. And instead they ended up like repairing the plumbing and the electric. Right. Because they had to stay there and they did so many repairs. It survived. <laughs> right. Which is why it's a historical site now. Yeah, the the county bought it, and you know it's it's since become a you know restoration. You can go visit it now. It's amazing that this film saved the house. Like that, that's, that's the fact that that is a fact is fascinating to me. And it, and you know at one point they they go through where my dad's office was. I mean it's it, it was it was really kind of weird watching it, you know, and because well because I kind of remembered the layout and you know the the entranceways and all that. So I, I it's just it was a weird experience. I wish it was a better movie. Because it's it's not good <laughs> at all. It is well, garbage. You know, the the biggest problem here, I love one of the uh, directors said something that was very clear to me while I was watching it, is that you know because they took half the film out and shoved in this other half and then rearranged things. He said that their material they shot, not a single scene of what they shot was followed by the next proper scene. <laughs> so like the story. Is just like a jigsaw puzzle you put in the box again and shook it up. <laughs> it's like nothing's nothing works. Yeah, it's it's an absolute myth. Well, similar to that. So my history with the film, what little I have is initially not much. This was on the list of we were talking about Richard Corbin earlier. This was on the list of movies that the box art scared me as a kid. Not so much the the, the lady in the foreground. That head. It was Creon's head. Yep. And with the red eyes and shit. Mm-hmm. That was creeped me out as a kid. So I, was, I thought Spookies lived up to its name because I passed that box and went, yeah. and then years later, I saw clips from it and said, okay, now I know what kind of what this is. And then when I sat down and watched the whole thing, I already knew the gist of it, but watching it, it was even more appropriate or reminding me of my childhood because it turns out this is the Macron one of horror movies. Jake, is Macron one a real cartoon? What the fuck is Macron one? All right. <laughs> See, now you know we're back. President of France? Now, Jake is about to shit on me on a cartoon that he doesn't think exists. So we're back, baby. We're back to the Freddy's Nightmares episode. (laughs) The fuck is Macron 1? Straight white men yelling at each other about nostalgic cartoons. Where else are you going to get this on the internet? (laughs) It's Big Robots, Jake. You don't remember Big Robots from the 80s? So Macron won. Do you just make up robot fucking cartoons? I'm not making this show! I'm not it! Ah! It's a real show! A real I feel like show. every one of these is some dumb dinosaur and robots, man. I... You leave Denver the last dinosaur and the mighty Orbots out of this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is a very iconic robot with a big old kind of like X across his chest. And yeah, I think I own some pieces of this thing. Yeah, well, it's iconic, yeah. but not really because This is an of, iconic of robot one. I have never seen in my life before. I worked in a fucking comic shop. Where are you finding these things? So this one... On the television, Jake. Your reaction is justified on this one. Is there like a Delaware bubble that showed like nine cartoons that they didn't show anywhere else? They had a VHS tape of it at Movie King. It existed, goddammit. I think I'm the only person who rented it, but it existed, goddammit. No DVD release and no remastering. There are episodes of it on YouTube. But I don't even think they're complete. So for folks who don't know what Macron 1 is. Like me. Macron 1 was, it was during the period of Voltron, Robotech. In fact, most of the production crew on it were, and the voice actors were folks coming right off of Robotech. I know Robotech. I know Voltron. (laughs) It's two different anime shows smashed together. One is Go Shogun, 
which has the robot that Nick's referring to, kind of this iconic looking robot design. Because Ghost Shogun was pretty big in Japan and, and had a movie spinoff later called The Time Stranger, which I haven't seen, but is actually supposed to be really, really good. And then the other show is called Akudai Sakusen Srungle, which apparently translates as Great Military Operation and Subspace Srungle. Nice. And they put these two shows together to make Macron one. Now, what's interesting about it is putting disparate shows together to make an American show isn't unique. Robotech yeah. is, they took these three separate shows and just through the dubbing, slapped them side by side. And so made it so one weaved into the other with this overarching story. I think Voltron was the same. I, it's been a while with Voltron. I know the main show for Voltron was Goleon. I don't know what the, the other show was that they folded in with it. There were two others. And, but I think Voltron was the same thing where it was kind of back to back. Macron won. This was two shows literally in the same show. The premise of the show was there was a test pilot who got catapulted to an alternate dimension. And then the evil villains from that dimension went to our dimension. And when it was our dimension, it was footage from Go Shogun. When it was the alternate dimension, it was Srungle. The show would be, it would be like 75% Go Shogun. I think what they did was they would take a Go Shogun episode and they would cut out all the violent bits that you couldn't show on American television. And they filled whatever the intervening gap was with Srungle footage. Huh. And so the way they would do it is every now and again, these characters from different dimensions would call each other for a status update. So you have characters on monitors from two separate shows talking to each other. <laughs> and then later, the way they do it is there's a kid in the Go Shogun part who's one of the main characters. And the folks in the alternate dimension develop like a psychic connection with him. So they'll just splice in Shrungle footage. We're like, Billy's in danger. We need to give him support. And so it's just talking heads from Shrungle dubbed over with bullshit of them talking psychically to this kid from oh, a completely wow. different show. That's amazing. So it's funny. The other reason Macron won stuck in my memory is they used to use, and this is, this is mentioned on the Wikipedia article for it from the Wikipedia article. I'll read this bit is the Macron one adaptation made use of the so-called Miami vice formula introduced a year earlier by the eponymous primetime series, incorporating contemporary pop music into the action scenes. Nice. Notable musical adaptations included beat it, Shout, Safety Dance, and The Heat Is On. Oh. If you don't believe this, the Beat It one is, at the very least, is on YouTube, where it's it's the footage from Goleon with all the pots. Like, all right, let's get in our ships here. Do, 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 <laughs> And fucking Beat It plays. So what they would do is they would strip all the Foley effects off of, like, the fighting sequences. There would be, like, no... And I think that was part of the violence thing, like the... The anime, I think they, they were just like, oh, it, you know, the explosions and stuff, it sounds too violent. So if we strip the sound out and just put a song over it, it'll help sanitize it. But it was fucking, that was where I first heard Beat It. So years later, when I saw the music video for Beat It, or saw an MTV or something, I said, hey, it's the song from Macron 1. That's fantastic. I thought those were all original songs for the show, just shouting all this other shit. It would explain why it's <laughs> never had a video release or a DVD release. Yeah, there's no way they can license that shit. So yeah, that's a completely random one. But so I was, and similarly, like Macron one is, is not good, but it's <laughs> that conceptually, it's interesting. They're like, we're just going to put two different shows in a super collider and smash them together. And that's what this movie is. And this movie is fascinating in the same way. Yes. Uh, yeah, we start off yes. with this movie called Twisted Souls, and then those folks end up leaving. And then the movie basically gets invaded 
by another movie of essentially the same length and the way they they cross cut. But yeah, I was like, oh my god, this is the macro one of horror movies. I so here's my thing. So like I okay, you know I read a lot about that. The mashing up people saying it's a much better movie, but you know producer ruined it and they mashed this stuff together and all of that sounds good but then you realize that the original movie the the souls was the one that had the adult teenagers <laughs> with the one dude dressed as a trash bag and all of their stuff was part of one movie and none of that is good it's better than what you got it up with like the other the interspersed stuff is certainly terrible but none of that's good either i don't know if i'd I disagree that, huh? disagree I don't know if I might like it in the sense that you're thinking of, but I don't know if I'd say none. Okay, I will agree with you that the age differences in the Twisted Souls version of the movie is ridiculous. It's so confusing. (laughs) Why is the one dude 50? They they have one throwaway line that like connects all of them. Like, cause the one oh the one of the really incongruous lines. Oh my god, I grew up with these people. Yeah, Megan, the character Megan played by Kim Merrill. She's like, ah, oh, I grew up with these people. And it's, it is really a quick throwaway line to explain why they were all at the same party. And it is so not enough. Now, mind you, no, there may no. have been, it makes the guy feel like a child predator in this. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. That's the drifter. <laughs> the drifter a hundred percent was after that kid. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Proto denim live Schreiber. It's the most confusing part of all of this, even with the two movies mashed together. No, no, no. Because here's a kid who can't open a thing of snowballs, needs a screwdriver, (laughs) and then Liv Shriver's hanging out in a tree, just like, you know, hey, kid, can enjoy those snowballs? And the kid's going to like, I'm going to go over here now. And he's like, I'm just going to hang out and die. And then that whole part was added. That that's not part of Twisted Souls. I I get that. But it doesn't make make any sense. No, everything Creon needs to go. Don't get me wrong. I like kind of the look and feel and the potential of Creon, but none of it fucking lands. Not a bit. All right. Well, first of all, Creon delivers all of his lines like he's Toby from The Office, which is not what you want from an evil wizard. But even with that in context, what what is going on with the dude in the tree? Like, what could possibly have been the reasoning behind that? Like, you know, the cat dude can turn into a guy. It's just, it's so confusing. It's, yeah, it's baffling. He he clearly just hunts runaways. I mean. Like, even if you separate (laughs) the action in the two films, none of the things that happen in either side make any sense either. No, see, I, here's my problem. Okay, so everything Creon. Yeah, because everything Creon was added, which means it has zero excuse for not working. All right. So the Twisted Souls, they took half the fucking movie out and then have to try to make it survive with what's added. But what's added is intentional. It's an end goal. You know this is what you're getting. So you should be able to massage it to at least make sure it answers all its own questions. And they don't even try. Try. (laughs) They don't even attempt to. So it's unforgivable. Whereas with Twisted Souls, I really would love to have seen a cut with the original footage to see what they've done because it could theoretically, and I'm being the optimist here. I admit that, but it theoretically <laughs> could have at least had scenes that actually wove into each other and potentially explain shit that the end product didn't even try to do. So I have hope that what the original directors were trying to do was actually a, a not a good film, but <laughs> at least a, a logically consistent film which I would have enjoyed seeing, especially with 
the added special effects they cut and the monster interactions they cut. Because I, I think it would have been a great film for me. It would have been a great film for me. <laughs> I, I think it still would have been what it was, which is a test reel for a haunted house. That's fine. I'm okay with which that. Which is fine. Yeah. I, you know, there's plenty of horror movies we've seen that are basically that. Absolutely. But it, it's just... <laughs> to touch on who did what that we've been kind of talking about that Nick just mentioned as far as the different directors and stuff, do we want to go ahead and do the production rundown real quick? Absolutely. All right. So, as you, if you've been paying attention, have heard... We're talking about Spookies from 1986. The final editor and director was Jeannie Joseph, who was brought in to, uh, for the producer, quote-unquote, fix the film. She had previously uh, directed Mindbenders and Pheromone. And I believe she was also involved with Trauma for a bit. Well, I don't know if she was involved with Trauma. So Mindbenders came after. Did anyone watch Mindbenders? No. No. Okay. I, I watched one movie from each set of directors. I watched Mindbenders for Eugenie Joseph, and I watched... Well, we'll get into the one I watched when we get to Thomas Dorn and Brendan Faulkner. But And Mindbenders is... It's very much kind of a generic high school comedy, so you can see it's it seems Eugenie Joseph's sensibilities lean more towards comedy. It's about a high school where the principal decides to basically brainwash and subjugate the students by using what he later finds out is alien technology to, like, use the school radio system to pipe in stuff into their subconscious and basically turns them into like zombies. And it's up to the two punk rock kids and their nerdy friend to hijack the school radio. It's a generic eighties. It's I didn't think it was at all good, but, uh, but fun. It also, I think it's the debut for Lee Turgeson who was on Oz all five or however many seasons of Oz there were. I think it's his first role, but so Eugenie Joseph based on the documentary that, is on the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. So I don't know if this is confirmed elsewhere, but this is what's posited on that documentary. Eugenie Joseph, prior to this, primarily worked in adult films under the name of Erica Havens and under the name of Eve Milan, both in front of and behind the camera. So started as acting in them, and then she sort of segued into editing and directing. And as Eve Milan, if this is Eugenie Joseph, as Eve Milan, She's the editor and director of Prior to Spookies of the TNA team, First Time at Cherry High, and the best <laughs> title, Flash Pants. Nice. Nice. And I love it. So apparently, yes, yeah, she was in the adult film industry, and apparently she was, according to the documentary, she was editing another movie in the same location as they were editing Spookies, and the producer, Michael Lee, ran into her, struck up a conversation, and eventually, I guess, you know, really hit it off, and I guess she... Either she pitched or he pitched, hey, I've got this movie that's I'm not very happy with. Do you want to come in and take a crack at it? And hence the old crew getting shuffled out and, and Eugenie Joseph coming in. So for what Nick was just mentioning in terms of there being two different movies, it's what what I will say is Eugenie Joseph was in a tough position no matter what. Yep. If you're coming in and you're being given a movie and you're told you got to basically rework it, all the cast is gone. Most of the crew is gone. They refuse to come back. So you have to come up with something new. That's that's an extremely difficult position to be in and would be very difficult to pull off. But similar to what Nick mentioned, like the internal logic of it is completely fucking bonkers and it doesn't work at all. But I will, I will say in Eugene Joseph's defense, it was an unenviable position. To play devil's advocate on both sides, per the original director at least, um, it was his understanding that she came in 
the producer's like, you know what? I think this movie's not going to make it. What do you think? He showed it to her. And she said, looking at it, I think you can only salvage 40% of this. Which the director is very adamant is not true. And that she said that in an attempt to snatch and make her grab on the film. Which may or may not be true. But he also made the argument that there was a fairly good, decent chance the producer was going to have it reworked regardless. So her making her shot to be the one who did it, it's hard for him to argue with. So, just to bring this up briefly with Eugenie Joseph, she also produced a movie called Heatstroke in 2008. Heatstroke, uh, one of the stars of that was Danica McKellar. Oh! You know, Danica McKellar from Wonder Years. Yep. Danica McKellar also voiced Miss Martian on the Young Justice show from 2010. Also on the Young Justice show was Keith David, who voiced Mongol. Keith David, of course, was in... Community, season six. Season six. That's our community connection. All right. Yay, community connection. Yay. So, sorry for the tangent, Nick. Sorry. Two more directors. No, that's fine. That's good. But but I wanted to bring in that Eugenie Joseph stuff when we got to her. Hey, I'm all about it. You know, it's it's important to bring up why she was a part of the production, especially since, you know, when you actually add it up, there ended up being like three directors for this. (laughs) Because originally, it was written and directed by both Thomas Duran and Brendan Faulkner. Brendan Faulkner having worked on Killer Dead after this film, which apparently is a spiritual sequel to the Spookies, which I have not seen yet. And Thomas Duran, who also worked on Mother Mercy and Is This the End of Doublespeak? And prior to this, both of them worked on a movie for Troma. You mentioned Troma earlier Mm -hmm. called Igor and the Lunatics. And they were basically brought in similar to how you this is so funny, similar to how Eugenie Joseph got involved in this movie. Igor and the Lunatics started as a movie called, I think they said it was called Like Father. And it was basically, it was another Manson family thing about a cult family killing a bunch of people and, you know, cult family living in the woods goes on a murder spree. They, the folks who were making it showed it to Thomas Duran and Brendan Faulkner. And they were like, well, there's not a lot of horror stuff in here. And they wanted their advice on initially like just some production stuff, budget stuff. And then Thomas Duran and Brendan Faulkner ended up coming in and just doing a bunch of kill scenes. Like there's a sequence where in the opening sequence, a woman is cut in half and with a buzzsaw and this really grotesque stuff. And they apparently directed a significant portion of this film. The original director, again, this is all according to the documentary that's on the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. The original director allegedly didn't want to give up any directing credit. So Thomas Duran and Brendan Faulkner are credited as, what is it's like special horror and action sequences by Thomas Duran and Brendan Faulkner. So <laughs> it's almost like a stunt sequences by thing. So they both have that. So that was Thomas Duran's only other like directing involvement. He also did storyboard work apparently for The Exterminator and MacGyver Trail to Doomsday. Nice. And then Brendan Faulkner was the technical advisor on The Woodchipper Massacre. So they both had interesting (laughs) non-directorial tangents in terms of what they did. All right. Another writer uh, on this film and the costume designer was Ann Bergen, who was also a producer on The Mask. So it's about the only other thing she really did uh, that I could find. Um, Another writer, since there's tons of them, uh, was Frank (laughs) M. Farrell, who was also a producer on Street Trash. Yes, Street Trash comes up a lot. There's apparently a lot of overlap with Street Trash and the crew from this movie. We have two cinematographers. We have Robert Chappelle, who worked on Jakarta, The Sorceress of Daira, and Bobby Fischer Against the World. 
Yeah, did the uh, did the non Twisted Souls portion? Did the Eugenie Joseph mm-hmm. portion? Yep. Also, apparently, works with Errol Morris and did fucking the Thin Blue Line and Fog of War. I was like, holy shit! And then we have Ken Kelsch, who yes. uh, was the cinematographer for Bad Lieutenant, Dangerous Game, Return to Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, this. So we got Robert Chappelle ends up working with Errol Morris, and then there's Ken Kelsch, who did like five Abel Ferrara movies: The Driller Killer, Bad Lieutenant, and The Addiction. It was like, holy shit. Yep. Yeah, so the from the director of photography standpoint, it was two very interesting credits. And then we have, of course, the music, which was by James Calabrese and Kenneth Higgins, who both worked on The Beer Drinker's Guide to Fitness and Filmmaking and Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got, I just have Ray reviews for the special makeup effects team. There's the four of them here. I, I hoped you would. Yep, we got Jennifer Aspinall, who has received multiple awards. Yes. She has worked on Toxic Avenger, Street Trash, Money Train, Mulholland Drive, the 2009 Star Trek reboot, Guardians of the Galaxy, Kong Skull Island, and Captain Marvel. The woman knows her shit. And they mentioned on the documentary she won an Emmy for Mad TV, apparently. Yep. Next special makeup artist I have up on the uh, list, we have Gabriel Bartolos, who we have spoken of before since he Mm -hmm. worked on Brain Damage, Bright Night 2. Basket Case 2, Frankenhooker, mm-hmm. Leprechaun 1, 2, 3, 5, 6. <laughs> he worked on Army of the Dead and Bad Biology. Yeah. 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 Also, we're known, he's the writer-director of a couple films, but I think his debut was a movie called Skin Deep, another movie I've only seen chunks of, not the whole thing, but I believe there are some folks from this who were in that as well. Oh, yeah. The next special makeup effect artist I have on the block, we have Arnold Garglio. I apologize if I pronounced that wrong. Who worked on The Deadly Spawn, yep. which I really enjoyed. That's a fun one. Also Day of the Dead and Frankenhooker. And my last special makeup effects artist I have is Vincent J. Gostini, who worked on Toxic Avenger 3, Child's Play 3, Thinner, Virus, Dogma, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, Doom, Scary Movie 4, I Am Legend, the Thing prequel from 2011, World War Z, Cabin Fever 3, The Taking of Deborah Logan, Veronica, and VHS's viral Bone Storm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fabulous. That made me so happy Fuck when I saw yes. that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, we have connected spookies. <laughs> in a single step Woo! (laughs) good job that almost makes me like this more i know right almost (laughs) this almost makes you like this but again (laughs) you know know, the whole point of what i've done so far is to show that the real strength of this in my opinion is clear even in the credits of the people involved is that it's all about the special makeup effects that have gone into this I i loved it's the only strength of this yeah i agree it it was (laughs) solid and strong and fantastic which brings us to the producer michael lee who everyone agrees is a piece of shit and should be rotting in hell (laughs) you know i say that flippantly but i have never ever in all of the interview people complain about producers that happens people you know and will have their vision and they're being kind of driven by the money to some degree and they have to shape their choices and that happens and it's frustrating and they have mild complaints it's fine no one liked this man. No one appreciated any choice he ever did. 
And I can't blame them because one strong example I'm going to talk about right now, right now. This could be the mud people. Is that in the basement scene where they decide they have going to have like the earthen mud men. He was like, let's just put farts in the whole time. Actually, I take that back. I'm sorry. Somebody threw it in as a joke and he was like, we're keeping it. The sound engineer <laughs> claims credit for it on the documentary. Yeah. And he's talking about how he did, you know, all the sound effects. He's like, oh, yeah, I put a bunch of soap on my hand and got a chicken and I was putting my hand in the chicken to make the goop noises. And then the fart things were the traditional, you know, lips on the forearm, you know, and Michael Lee loved it. And apparently that was Eugenie Joseph's only big fight with Michael Lee Yep, was no, absolutely not. And. Eugene Joseph lost that fight. Rumor has it she was actually fired for 24 hours because she wouldn't do it. And then she crumbled in wood. <laughs> yeah, so we have the muck men sequence, which is one. Oh, that, my God. That sequence really is kind of a microcosm of everything we've been talking about. Because when the muck men show up, well, first of all, that, that scene is is arguably my favorite scene in the whole film because it contains my favorite line of dialogue in you know the sequence where of the party of characters we have we'll we'll get back to the the group as a whole here in a second but it's linda and duke green duke is one of the few characters we get his last name duke who looks like a member of the t-birds who walked off the set of xanadu (laughs) man is wearing a trash bag suit (laughs) and he has the line you know when linda's down there and 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 duke has the line no worries duke will provide (laughs) and that's been stuck i was like man i've been so depressed these last like five, six months I've been in mental rut and all I had to do to grab myself was remember, hey, Duke will provide. See, I thought you were gonna use the line, hey, it's Casper the horny ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like the next line after that? <laughs> Duke has most of the best line uh, and not even like good lines, just no. Widgie board, that sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> But so then the the muck man appear. And like we said, they're kind of a microcosm because a from a makeup perspective, yep, they look pretty good. With the right sound effects, the right music, it can be terrifying. They have like some detail in them. They're kind of unique looking and the way they're kind of bulky and yeah, the way they, they, they move. They just toss and... tables around like they're paper too. I mean, they're, they're yeah, really they're strong shit. and intimidating. Yeah. So my, my note on that was just the farting mummies were unexpected. <laughs> Yeah, and I wish it could have been in the room with you when that first fart noise hit. So, yes, anyone who hasn't seen this movie, and I'll toss this out there for folks. If, on the off chance you haven't seen this, as of this recording, it's on Shudder, so it's, it's very yep. easy to see. If you like it, get the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. It's great. So, yeah, they have all these fart noises interspersed. But like a lot of things in this movie, there's a lot of incongruities on multiple levels throughout this film. But one of them is the sound work. So, like, the sound work is there's all this farting during the Muckman sequence, but it's not shown as being, like, in direct relation to the Muckmen. Like, it's not like when the Muckmen are on screen, there's farting, and there's not, and when they're not on screen, there's not. Or, like, when yeah. the Muckman gets hit to fart, constant. there's just random farting. So you can make a case <laughs> that it's not the Muckmen, that it's just the protagonist <laughs> who has a predator-prey defense mechanism are just constantly farting during this whole scene in the hopes of like some base instinct to you know scare predators away like a skunk defense that's my read on the scene because again they don't give us any visual not that the movie has to but there is no visual like direct link of like every time a muck man steps there's a every time they punch one there's a 
Every time it smashes something, there's a nothing. It's just random intervals throughout this whole scene. So fuck it. I'm chalking it up to Duke. Well, uh, apparently, you know, basement wine gives him gas, man. (laughs) But, you know, this isn't even the first monster switch out that causes issues. You know, obviously they switched the audio on this. The whole crew is like, Christ, no. But, you know, the producer makes it happen. But also, the producer had originally pushed for no zombies. None. Yes. And the whole reason being is that he was worried about getting caught up in that video nasty type criteria and getting banned in, in England. But they originally were going to replace the zombies with ghosts. Yep. In post. So what you end up doing is, so when they did the director change, somehow somebody got the idea, like, no, we're doing zombies anyway. All right, fine. We're doing zombies. So there's this scene where they all go outside and one of them just gets sucked into the ground because, you know, that's what that's what happens. As a kid, that wigged me out. Watching it now, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, Lewis gets sucked into the ground yeah. and then it's... And then all the zombies come Dave out. Dave and Adrian. Uh-huh. And yeah, and they come down the steps. Lewis gets sucked into the ground and all of a sudden... Adrian and and in particular Dave yep. start to basically like they look like they're marionettes where their arms go up yep. to shoulder height and go parallel to the ground and they both start looking around at nothing. Yep. The only thing and then what is supposed to be there is again they were supposed, supposed to be all this animation ghosts. in post. They were supposed to put a bunch of ghosts in in post. There were supposed to be animated sequences of the creatures coming out of the Ouija board that were going to be done via animation. So anything that was going to be chalked up to post isn't there. But so they left in the footage of them just looking around. And the only thing, again, in terms of incongruity, what they did add is the fucking wear cat. So this fucking, (laughs) this is one of the rare occasions, probably the first time since we started doing this pod, I legit regret that we're not a video podcast. Because if we were, I would have asked Fred, friend of the pod, to dress as a wear cat. (laughs) <laughs> and I would just have him randomly show up on this pod every two minutes for no fucking reason and then vanish. None of us acknowledge him. Well, no, so, but here's what we do. After this, we record another pod with Fred in it and then we mush them together. And then we mush them together. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll mush Fred in and post yeah. But that pod will be about a different movie entirely. We'll just edit, you know, throw it in randomly together. So they establish, like, the werecat is there. There's what is ostensibly supposed to be Lewis's POV of the werecat, because he's looking down mm-hmm. as Lewis gets pulled into the ground outside. And then the werecat looks up. And so logistically, he's going to be, all right, are they going to find a shot where it looks like, you know, Dave and Adrienne are looking in the werecat? No, they're looking everywhere but there. And then they run inside. And it's... It it is absolutely baffling. It's like just just cut to. There's a shot of them just running up the stairs. Just cut to that. You don't need to bit of them like marionettes. There's no context for it. There's nothing there. They're not looking at the werecat. The one thing you established it is there. This uh, plays into my next fun fact. So I have all these little monikers next to the people's names that I have written down here, just like so I can remember who they are, like Creon the Wizard, Duke the Meathead. You know, <laughs> and I have here, I have Lewis the Unloved because <laughs> he's, he's Carol's boyfriend. Oh, he has almost zero speaking moments. You hear his name twice. Yep. Once unspoken, when it just appears on his gravestone. And then after his gravestone, he's sucked in. They go, oh no, Lewis. That's it. Yeah. That's the, like, 
He's he's acknowledged after his death, but in life he served no purpose. He was a walking cardboard cutout. <laughs> yeah, later they Peter points him out and is like, Look at Lewis's gravestone over there. You want to end up like that or something? It's like that's more attention than Lewis got before he died. Lewis? Lewis who? Like you have notes about like like your shorthand for the various characters. My common theme for the, the movie is just incongruities. Now a lot of that is a result of, like we said, two very disparate things kind of being smushed together. But like we talked on the point, even within Twisted Souls, our main set of protagonists, this motley crew, is basically you know this the D and D trope of when you sit down to a D and D game and it's like all right. All your characters have been summoned to this bar by, you know, or you got a mysterious message and no one has talked about what their characters are until you show up. Yep. And so then you start going around the table, introducing yourselves and you get, I'm a half orc paladin. I'm a dark elf druid. I'm a dragonborn serial killer. I'm a tiefling massage therapist. I'm a high elf janitor. <laughs> and you get this random fucking sort of like, uh, I guess this is the crew of random fucking assortment that's going to save the world. That's this group. <laughs> if if movie casts, like horror movie ensembles were superhero teams, this is the Great Lakes Avengers of movie ensembles. <laughs> These folks are so fucking bonkers. Where it's like, one dude is three times older than everybody else there. <laughs> He's so old. You've got Duke, like we said, is T-Bird off of Xanadu. Everyone is so like incongruous in terms of like how they match up and yet the movie establishes that they were just at a party together which point duke fought someone at which point they started driving in search of another place to party the party which consists of a six pack of beer one bag of chips and a bag of pretzels and dance music at which point they said i don't feel like dancing but also you had the entertainment in the form of what's his name the comedian rich the jokester yeah who's got a puppet and a t-shirt of himself with his he puppet does. on the he entire does. time. Uh, I think he's like performance-wise is is actually legitimately good. He, was the most he solid. absolutely gets the best death. He's the one who was in Skin Deep. Yes, he was in Skin. Yeah, he's also he's in Igor and the Lunatics. He's been in a lot of stuff. And Street Trash and Killer Dead, yeah. He's fine, but he's one of those characters that's in a movie that it feels like he's not actually interacting with anything in the movie. Oh god. Like, he no. is just a guy there who's talking and everybody else is talking around him like you know like he's he's a hundred percent the jester that if he chose to he could break the fourth wall at any time he wanted like he's right. the only but, one who yeah. knows what's going on and he's dancing to his own doom with a smile on his face and i know they address <laughs> him a few times but i swear to god the whole movie feels like if you told me at the end he was a you know he was dead the whole time like you know bruce willis <laughs> it would have been like sure okay but it, it took me a while because like i saw the t-shirt with the puppet and i'm like is that a is that like a famous comedian with a puppet? And I I spent a lot of time looking up comedians and puppets because it's like I swear to God it's just him. But it's just him. It's just him. And my my brain just wouldn't let me accept that. I looked up a lot about eighties <laughs> puppeteers and comedians and couldn't find anyone. You know, it's just like, but why? It, you know, he he's the comic relief. At least you know he's supposed to be. But the rest of the movie turns out to be. <laughs> But I, I, for what his character is, he's putting, apparently he's based on folks talking in the documentary and there's footage of him on the Blu-ray that he did an intro for the movie at an Alamo draft house screening. And there's footage of that on there where it seems like he was largely just playing himself. It's yep. like they, they mentioned like he was just a big goofball. Everyone talks glowingly about him on the documentary. There's, there's, I found a blog about him, which is just somebody's memories of him after he passed away. Just really nice stuff. So he seems like a good dude. He was beloved by everyone. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anthony Valbiro, who played Dave, he's interviewed on the documentary. Apparently, like they knew each other since like they were 12 or something like that. And apparently they were still like super close even when he passed. So but it got me thinking is that what we need to do, you know, in our sort of grand relaunch here is we need to put T-shirts on T-Public of ourselves, potentially with puppets. But I leave that up to everybody's individual taste. <laughs> But just t-shirts of ourselves that if we ever do a con, we can just wear those and never explain them. <laughs> maybe maybe have scary stuff, but in the spookies font. If we do that, we have to do it right. So first, it's just a picture of us in the t-shirt. And the next year, it's a picture of us wearing the picture of us with the t-shirt. And then it's just becoming like this like infinite loop of us's into ourselves. <laughs> and the whole thing has to look like something that was silk screened out of a dot matrix printer. So. I'd be willing to do that one day. If on the second day of the con, we all wore the Don Rosa shirt that I'm never actually going to sell, but we did the design for ask us about that at a con sometime, <laughs> but just God, what a fucking mess. This movie. It's so bad. For, but I, I honestly think, you know, I mean, this movie has, I mean, people still like it. They write about it. You know, you talked about an Alamo draft. It's, it's not like some lost classic yeah. that we dug up, you know, that we only know because I live next door to it. Like, people <laughs> people like this movie. I mean, it's, and, and I honestly think the entire appeal has got to be a combination of cool special effects and the fact that it's just so batshit nuts and makes no sense that you watch it. It's it's sort of a it's like a party experience movie. Let's let's be clear here too. It, what it comes down to is it's also a matter of timing. Because if this movie were to be released now, it'd be gone in a fucking week. Like no one would give a shit after a week or two. It would be like on a streaming service. At which point they'd be like, you know what? Why did we do this? And they'd move on with their lives. But you know, in the eighties, you know, the bar for horror was so fucking low. <laughs> it was just like you know if it had any facet of it was worth watching it took off this got theatrical releases this was in theaters for christ's sake <laughs> and, well, but and that's a... always the thing with horror even in the 80s you can make it for 11 dollars and make 15 back by releasing yes! it in eight theaters yes so. and the fact of the matter is is that you know good story or interesting actors who do a good job or good special effects if you hit any of these, you're going to be a success. And that's what this was. Minus the success. Yeah, I enjoyed this because I watched it when I was 10 and sure as fuck I was. Been watching that was it. my next question. Was, <laughs> did you see this on the USA Network? Yes. No, you okay. saw it on HBO like everything else. I, oh, I yeah. saw, to be honest, I probably saw it on both. But I mean, <laughs> definitely, I, I would not be surprised if I caught it on like 2 a.m. on HBO and on, you know, Captain USA's groovy movies, you know? <laughs> Commander, Commander USA's group. Yeah, apparently this was a staple of uh of USA. Uh, was it Saturday Night Horror or whatever it was called? Yeah, yeah. I guess not up all night with Rhonda Sheer, but it was. Rhonda! But yeah, I guess yeah, it was. It was a thing growing up for a lot of people, or you know, discovered it, and it kind of just built this following over time. But all right, just to take a step back, <laughs> it's on TV. It must be okay. Th just think about it for a second. This movie. This this war crime of a VHS release <laughs> has a, a box this by is not born <laughs> by Richard Corbin who did the art and you know famous artist you know one of, and this movie directly led to the preservation of the the home of the first Chief Justice of the United States. Yep, one of the writers of the Federalist Papers. Yeah, right. The guy who negotiated the treaty to end the Revolutionary War. 
Creepies saved his house. Spookies. Whatever. Spookies! (laughs) (laughs) Say his name. (laughs) Even during the review, we can't get it right. (laughs) Just, that's mind-boggling when you think about that. Put some respect on this movie that you just called a war crime. <laughs> I, I, it's just, it's wild to think about that, you know? Like that, and, and, what is, and, and that's the other thing. So eventually what we're going to do is we're going to take a weekend and we're going to have a scary stuff road trip. But we're going to go down to that fucking tunnel in Maryland. Yep. And then we're going to drive up to Rive, New York, and we're going to go to this house. Yep. I'm so down. So we can take pictures on the spooks. And I, I, I would do that this week. Well, I can't this weekend because I have to build my fucking house again. But anyway. <laughs> I, but we're, we're going to do that. That is a thing that's going to happen. It's going to happen this year. We're going to take this road trip because I just had to buy an SUV. And now I need to put it to use to make myself feel better about that. Oh, hell yeah. So, yeah, we're going to for the what are you doing for the horror podcast? Well, we're going to take a little road trip. where We're visiting a train tunnel. And the house of the first chief justice of the United States. And these related to horror movies, how? Like, because they do. This is like the premise for a horror movie. We're go- One of us is not living through this. I'm just saying. <laughs> Please let it be me. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I called dibs on dibs. <laughs> I am so far past exhausted every day. <laughs> Which you would think would be the role of... Of the Peter character in this movie. The guy who's like three years older than everyone else. Like, he, he looks so tired. And he, every frame he looks like, just fucking shoot me. Uh, and he survives! Not guaranteed. Well, insofar as sort anybody of. does. So, well, that, yeah. So Yeah, we gotta talk about the end of this film. Yeah. It has Do we want to touch on the Creon thread <laughs> as a whole? The, the other half of this movie? sure why not we're here i mean the long story short is is like he's got the dead corpse of the woman he loved but she never loved him and he's supposedly sacrificing these people to bring her back so establishes he's like screw you (laughs) this this creepy dude who looks like zombified conrad bane from different strokes and and talks like zombified toby from the office yes every line of dialogue is like the first dip pawns doing <laughs> i'm just sitting here like michael scott i i hate so much about the things you choose to be <laughs> I just what about, he, the- <laughs> he's so quite like like you know, all his lines are delivered just like this and so softly. But his one makeup effect is that one big-ass vein. vein. Oh, yeah. yeah, the fucking head and lauder vein. Which sometimes is going, even when he's not doing magic, it's just throbbing. So it looks like he's just absolutely struggling to hold it in like some region. Like, I'm trying so hard to keep my shit together but sometimes motherfuckers just make me <laughs> it looks like he's just like the whole time i will admit that the head throbby bit's the one thing i like from the creon thread that's it <laughs> the rest that, that, of it is crap that's it oh it's not the 50 bazillion appearances of the werecat <laughs> As their uh, their main mechanism for hate that trying cat. to make these things merge, just have the werecat just show up and stare at every scene and go. The, the werecat felt like a physical star wipe. Why does you he know, have <laughs> Why does he have a hook for hand? I don't know. He's dressed like a fucking pirate. He's a cursed vampire werecat pirate. Shit, it's it, it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Okay, here's Got a nice it, car though. Here's my my number one biggest problem with the Creon thread. First off, all of it is fucking filler. 
to begin with to fill in the <laughs> gaps between the actual film and the filler has filler the actual film no the filler Sorry. has filler <laughs> all right so there's the scene where he like, kills and buries the kid and that takes like 20 fucking minutes jesus christ that just went on and on and then there's the end where the bride is being chased by the zombies for a good fucking hour and a half. And it just doesn't end. We, we got to talk like, about that. You have filler for your filler. What the fuck are you doing? You have failed me as a film. So, like, everything in this movie is, you know, haha, you know, goofball, funny, whatever, you know, like, a, it's just, you know, dumber and dog shit. But then you get to this end scene, which is, like you said, it's just this long scene of this woman running around just endlessly being groped by all of these male zombies. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, this is a little too heavily psychosexual stuff for this fucking It's upsetting. Piece of corn stuck in your teeth movie. This is not trying to completely project like this is just spitballing a theory. It occurred to me like after I saw the movie and then saw the documentary, and when you realize so Eugenie Joseph spent many, many years in the porn industry, oh. especially the porn industry of the late 70s, early 80s. This whole thread. So then that whole plot line about, you know, this young woman who's being gaslit, you know, and has this older man who says, you know, I control you. I'm going to make you love me. And then the climax of the movie, like you said, is it feels like 10 fucking minutes of yep. this quote unquote yeah. zombie sequence. But it's literally just nothing but men pawing at a woman like and there's barely any makeup on them it, they look like they have like shitty camouflage it's basically just face yeah. paint one of the fucking zombies actually has tree branches like strapped to him like camouflage i'm guessing it's supposed to be they're stuck to him from where he came out of the ground but it looks like one of the zombies is just a little bit sharper than the rest and actually tried to blend in so he could get a sneak attack when he hops up on the bush and it's this like half bush has zombie thing what the fuck but you see this, and it really is, it's nothing but people in shitty makeup pawing at, and predominantly men, almost entirely men. It is entirely men. Pawing at a woman for ten minutes. And it was like, I do wonder if it, it was inspired by his. It was what my life has been for you know, ten years. You know, that actually fits the original uh, intention, too, because Jeannie had intended for her to be actually stripped completely bare. Um, yeah, I got a, I got a quote about that. But but apparently uh, Maria was like, "I'll do it, but you got to pay me more," and they they wouldn't. But you, you end up with you know it, it, that that whole allegory for what she's dealt with through the film industry. That that's I think you're right. That was my whole thing watching it because you're watching this whole movie and then you get to this big scene and all my brain could go, "Where did all these fucking layers come from?" Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere. And, all right. Poof. And and to kind of drive that point home again, this was IMDb trivia. And I'm going to read this to you because this is this is some fucking male gaze and action shit right here. Reportedly, it was planned for Maria Pachukas to be stripped totally nude or topless by the creatures in the last scene as she ran from them. Pachukas had no problem with the nudity, but Michael Lee wouldn't pay her the money she wanted to do it, so she kept her clothes on. She went on to appear nude in every film she made after this. Oh, Jesus Christ. And the amount of just bitterness in that last sentence is like, you got to have better mods on IMTV. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. But it, it, like what you said, it makes sense. If she worked in the adult industry and then you get this scene, like there, there is some shit going on there. Yeah. And there's no shit going on in any other part of the movie. So like, <laughs> like there's no deeper meaning to the cat 
pirate chess. hook hand me out. Chess. There is chess happening, Jake. <laughs> lots and lots of chess. You know, oh, the pawns. I get. <laughs> this motherfucker sits there at this goddamn chessboard and keeps interjecting of, yes, all the pawns are in place. And you know, like I said, the whole premise is I'm going to sacrifice all these people to bring, you know, my ex-wife back who's been dead for 70 years. Then... One dude dies and she wakes up. So why the fuck do you need to kill everyone else? She's already fucking awake. Then this whole thing about, oh, it's chess. It's chess. And then a DuPont. And you just keep playing this fucking chess game. And then at the end, where the Twisted Souls footage stops, three characters are still alive. Yep. And it just stops. Theoretically. And yeah, theoretically, because they, they stop the immediate threat of possessed Carol, who looks like you know, a deadite. Yeah, that's some awesome makeup. And this fucking is like, yes, chess games are at their best when their conclusions are totally ambiguous. <laughs> like, I wanted to tell the kid is, and now the point is where we get up and walk away from the chessboard as if nothing happened. The game's not finished. Exactly. It just, it just stops. That's not how chess works. But you look at his chessboard, and it's not like a king and a pawn. It's like a, a fucking used old matchbox car, a wadded up thing, a dryer lint, you know, three <laughs> gumdrops. Uh, you know, and, and this guy's moving him around like he's a master strategist and it's just blah, 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 you know? <laughs> like, this is Creon the idiot sorcerer. It's legitimately hilarious because he does nothing when he's not, you know, talking to his ex-wife about and, and making all this creepy guess I, I love you so much i'm gonna make you love me he has the one line that inadvertently made me laugh where he, she says you know you you don't have oh god I, I thought i wrote it down but maybe i didn't where she's his wife wakes up and she's like you know you you don't have any power over me and he says but i do have power over you. and his delivery was it was straight up from whatever happened to baby jane but you are blanche you're in that shit <laughs> But I do have power. <laughs> Look, chess. <laughs> like, what the fuck? He does nothing but everything is going according to plan. Where I specifically say I have to sacrifice everybody to accomplish my plan. Three people still left alive. Yes, exactly as planned. <laughs> you are totally winging this, Creon, aren't you? I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, You know the Simpsons episode, The Monorail? Where Leonard Nimoy's in it, and it's towards the end, you know, and Homer's in the, and he goes, you know, or I think it was Homer talking to him, and he goes, well, I guess my job here is done. He goes, but you didn't do anything. Didn't, didn't I? I? <laughs> <And he fades laughs> away. That was what this was. There's the episode of TNG where Picard and Crusher are, they're like handcuffed together, and the cuffs, they share like a bit of a mind link so they can kind of read each other's thoughts, and they're stranded on this planet, and Crusher's like, which way do we go? And Picard says, you know, this way. And they start to walk, and Crusher says, you have no idea, do you? You're just picking a direction at random. And he says, well, no, I don't have an idea, but that's part of being a captain, is sometimes you just gotta pick something and, and you know, have a strong face, and so people can feel, you know, relaxed and feel they can rely on it. It's like, it, why didn't Creon say that to the kid? The biggest part of being a sorcerer is a facade of total control. <laughs> When you are totally flying by the seat of your fucking pants. <laughs> a sorcerer is never early or late. He arrives precisely when he means to. to yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Speaking of Creon and the ending. So, like, you know, so first off, the bride, Isabel, she eventually gets away from the zombies. 
finds this car, tries to get in. This random guy shows up, drives her away. Once they're safely away, the zombies, he stops the car and goes, you want to see something really scary? Turns around. Does the toilet. <laughs> turns into the cat guy. Ah! And then, so they've been hinting at this grave that has been in the front. That's yard. been undulating since undulating. literally the first shot since, of the movie. Yeah. And it's chained and padlocked. It's just been waiting as a big reveal. What's in the grave? And finally, she screams. The grave flies open and Creon comes out. <laughs> no explanation just it's like okay so is this his body and he was locked away in here as a sorcerer years ago and it's been not really him down there but what no, it's like there's nothing there's, they give you nothing is it a creon variant from another timeline <laughs> just up his... i have bodies in multiple graveyards <laughs> like she stabs him in the head with a fucking ice pick before that, it just went him like trying to wrangle the ice pick out of his forehead. Ah, yes, everything is going according to plan. <laughs> I feel like he's a goddamn lich, and the gravesite is his phylactery. You know, so she like <laughs> destroyed his body, and he reformed in the graveyard. You know, <laughs> I think he's just sundowning, man. This stuff is happening. <laughs> I, I, all right, so one of the things that kind of got me towards the end, you mentioned that she's in the car, you know, the guy jumps in, and, you know, so, oh, it turns, you know, but what you fail to realize is I have always loved you too, blah, you know. What the fuck? <laughs> Why does he have a left hand when he's in his human form and a hook and a hook in his cat for him? <laughs> it's an illusion. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> it's all an illusion. Wouldn't it make more sense the other way? nothing makes sense with the hook random cat pirate doesn't make sense period well the hook makes sense in that he's dressed like a pirate it's just he's even dressed like a goddamn pirate i don't get it which is why he has a hook hand because the pirate costume came with that they just rolled with it i swear to god it's like he quit his job at, you know, the spirit of Halloween. It was like, I need a new job. And Crean's like, yo, <laughs> I'm chilling me. Maybe that's what the movie's about. It's the first spirit Halloween takeover. It was an abandoned house and they were like, this is how we get in. And this is how it always goes. Maybe what we don't know is like these poor, you know, this former Kmart. There's some sort of thing like this happening. Some kids sneak in and, you know. All according to plan. You know, in every Kmart and Dollar General that goes out of business around the country has a Creon. See, that's what happened. Is that the pirate hook suit wear cat thing was his total. He was wearing it to sell costumes that day. Creon walks in and like liquefies the rest of the fucking staff and everybody's there. He looks at him and goes, oh, a wear cat, right? He goes, yeah, yes. wear cat, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's like he's Rare. never he's never changed once. He's like this is keeping me alive. <laughs> Just act natural or unnatural. He's <laughs> explain why he barely acts like a cat. All he does is grimace and his eyes twitch every now yep. and again. Yep. He does nothing but it you know vaguely stand on the periphery of scenes except Billy who seemingly isn't part of the grand plan. Billy just happens to show up and they're like, oh, random kid is here. Let's throw a fake birthday party for him. (laughs) This is the best acting because if he's a real tail worker, he's only going to have so much range on faking it. Okay. I mean, (laughs) 
It makes more sense he's faking it than he's a were-fucking cat. All right. <laughs> the documentary on the the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray is is worth it for the brief moment where because the cast of and crew of the Twisted Souls have a lot of vitriol for the non-Twisted Souls portion of yep. this film. And but in particular, Anthony Valbiro has a bit where he's talking about Billy. He's like, "Why the fuck would you go to a house with upside down balloons to stick around? You stupid bitch!" <laughs> <laughs> See, I would have enjoyed the Creon bits more if the kids survived. I know, right? It's he, like-, like he opens the present. Creon's like, "Ah, happy birthday, Billy!" And like he just pokes him in the fucking eyes, like just ah, bam, you know, just like shoots <laughs> his hand in. Creon's like, ah, fuck! <laughs> the kid runs off. The cat starts chasing him. He whips out some laser pointer and points at the, the cat goes, Row! and jumps off in the opposite direction. And, and Billy just takes off. It would be great. Look, this kid needed a screwdriver to open a pack of snowballs. He was not getting out alive. Period. <laughs> Nick, like you mentioned with, with Billy, it makes what you would think is that like the death of Billy would be like the end of the movie twist. Like, holy shit, they killed. Like, Phantasm. Boy, yeah. and the kid gets pulled through the mirror. Which is weird, because you have this whole, like, like Creon's whole thing. It was like, is he, like, the cousin that, you know, the tall man never talks about? <laughs> I don't like talking about it. Something weird about that motherfucker. <laughs> Just the way he's dressed and he's always around coffins. It makes it shit. Like, I, one of my notes was this. Is this, like, shit phantasm or fartasm in the case of this movie? Just, But, yeah, like, no, they kill Billy, like, 15 minutes into the film. And it's... Which is kind of a shocking thing in principle, but in the way the movie executes it, it's completely just like, what? Like, Billy runs up a mound of dirt, stares into an open grave, and decides, I'm stuck, rather than go right, left, <laughs> any other <laughs> just freezes, and then... Just keep going. And then the cat just buries him, man. Yeah, like, it doesn't like even... <laughs> like, he, like he pooped in the litter box. <laughs> I just... Trying to follow the plot or any logic in this film is like try to do Sudoku while on ketamine. Like, you just can't. Like, it just doesn't work. You can write some numbers down, but they're not going to add up to anything, you know? I've written the same number seven 500 times. You're Wake up in the morning, you got nothing but sevens written on the whole thing. You'd be like, oh, I finished this puzzle. 24. 24. I liked the Ouija board sequence, mainly because the bit where he keeps saying no. He sounds like Paul Williams in that one scene of Phantom of the Paradise. No, no. We'll get to that movie at some point on the pod. I love that fucking movie. I like the idea of Creon as the tall man's idiot cousin. That That's going to stick with me. That's the one good. they never talk about. <laughs> because the kid looks like one of the little minions. The kid who's running around this inexplicable kid who's sort of kind of Creon's kid. He looks like he belongs And he's Phantasm. dressed like one of the, the dudes from, from Phantasm when he yep. first he's just in the little brown hooded robe. For most, and it's like, what? So yeah, it, this movie feels like shit phantasm for a lot of it. Th- this movie is very much supposed to be a bunch of various aged people come across a Ouija board and unleash demons and, the, and monsters that come with them and have to deal with the consequences. And then they're like, well, we gotta get Creon involved, right? They're like, yeah, we'll just have him repeat everything the fuck that's happening as if to imply like, it's his choices. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> So we said too, like at the end, he says, soon they will realize they have no free will whatsoever. Proceeds to be a sequence where they demonstrate free will by defeating the creature that he possessed in the first place. <laughs> All according to plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible movie. They broke it. 
but I'm sorry I, if we're if we're ruining this for you by proxy. No, it, it, the thing is, is that I am a sucker for a monster film. You put, you know, animatronics or a person in a suit or show me some stop motion. I'm gonna watch and be like, squee. And that's what happened. And the monsters are, you mentioned earlier, the monsters, I mean, they're by far my favorite part of the film. Hell, the spider part is not even complete because if they had the budget, their intention was to do a whole, so the, the spider sequence takes about four separate phases. So you have like, you know, the woman as herself and then she got her a little bit spidery and then she gets more spidery and then they like replace her entirely with this rig and then the rig is replaced with a model and then they were planning, if they had the money, to do, like, stop motion with an actual, like, Yeah, the final stage spider, is supposed to be all stop motion. Which would have been amazing. So, like, like what they do with the monsters and what they wanted to do with the monsters, mm, it's just kiss. Love it. And that alone saves the film for me as something I would suggest to the right people as, I think, a fun movie to watch. And I enjoyed it. I cannot on any level say it's a good film. It's not a good movie. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. That they broke. But if you like creature films, maybe check it out. Or watch something better. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I now I now I'm gonna Jake pulling it up. Don't you believe it? I I I'm gonna be completely stuck on this for a while. Because now what I'm picturing now what I'm picturing is, is the tall man Mr. Dark from Something Wicked This Way Comes. What's his Montgomery Dark from from all uh, the suit wearing from the Warrior <laughs> collection? All sitting around playing poker, and then Creon shows up, and they're all just like, "Oh, jeez, <laughs> who invited him?" And the tall man's like, "He's my cousin. He was in town. I had to, you know." <laughs> Mom said we had to invite. Can him. Can <laughs> you please deal me in? Puts his cards down. A royal flush. That's a pair of twos, Creon. All according to plan. <laughs> See, this whole man, Creon, now the game is over. <laughs> I can't even say you play a good game, Creon. <laughs> I will take great pleasure in cleaning you the fuck out. <laughs> Montgomery Dark stories. He's like, shut up. <laughs> we need like a dog's playing poker image of all those characters. <laughs> Phantasm came out seven years prior. I would not be surprised at all if this was like heavily influenced by it. Because it's so clearly obvious. They're they're all the autumn people and he's like the early December guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. What a stupid movie. Yeah. I will say for anyone who hasn't seen it, like look, I I, I don't think this movie is good. I don't have re any real attachment to it from growing up. So seeing it now is similar to if you like monster effects check it out absolutely go check it out but even those are frustrating again what the main thing i would say is if you're interested in cinematic train wrecks and there's bigger train wrecks <laughs> than this by far but what's interesting about this is there's like it's just there's constant incongruities and it's not just the two different plot lines like sound effects don't match the action i mean not even like like the muckmen farts like there's the scene where like someone gets hit with a Ouija board and the sound effect is weird or the scene right before the, the farting muck men show up when Duke turns on a lamp and it sounds like he's thrown the switch on Marv's electric chair in Sin City is like, so the sound effects don't match. And then the editing like within scenes, 
it's difficult to follow what's going like particularly yep. the snake creature scene where adrienne is attacked where it turns out that dave died because he was he fell asleep and these things mauled him in his sleep and he didn't wake up i i, I refer to that as the uh creep show two death from the raft oh from the <laughs> Cause like there's on the raft chilling nice and reference suddenly, and suddenly her head turns and she's already half eaten you're like ah <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i think of but like when she's being attacked by the creatures like the way the scene is where she's looking yeah and the way they cross cut to the creatures it's not good like you have no idea who is where in juxtaposition with each other and like, like all right i think she's looking at a creature and all of a sudden there's one behind her and it's like is that a third one it's such and in their defense i barely like, knew where i was by the end of this film yeah it's it's so disorienting now i will say in, for the editing in their defense it could be that they didn't have a lot of footage to go on as coverage i don't know I, i'll maybe give them the benefit of the doubt on that but it makes for a weird experience there's so much of it that just is off and doesn't work in and of itself so you got these monster bits but the sounds are kind of weird and why does the reaper fucking explode <laughs> Fun bit about the Reaper exploding. They mentioned this, I think it's in the Alamo Draft House intro. The way they did that was apparently a bunch of cans of WD-40 and then an M80 yep. went off. And so if you look <laughs> on the right half of the screen, when the explosion happens, you can see a WD-40 can rocket off and start to veer in the direction of the camera. Oh, wow. Because apparently it flew right at the crew. Ah! This, this WD-40 game just went zoom right over, and everyone had to hit the deck. This is another situation where I can fill in blanks way too well. Because in my head, the reason why the Grim Reaper explodes is because he's exploding into ghosts. Like Probably was originally, like yeah. It's like either, you know, by destroying the monster through the fall, it goes back into its incorporeal forms. Or, you know, it's outside the boundaries of its control. You know, you can come up with all sorts of interesting ideas and hits the ground and turns into ghosts. And that would have been actually kind of a fun effect. But when you have it just explode with no post, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, or it could be that it's, you know, we've got the farting muck, man. It could be they all have a shit ton of gas inside them. And it just, if he happened to like land on Billy's cigarette lighter when he hit the ground and and that's what it was i don't know i yeah but i i I think the movie's legitimately a fascinating viewing experience it just because of that because it's so like i said i give the filmmakers a bit of credit on this nobody was in a good position on this half the crew had a movie that they sort of finished and then got to do no post on it and then the next filmmaker came in had to shove another movie into that movie so no one was in a good situation and you had a producer on it who kept changing his mind. You have a producer who said, I don't want it to be R rated. I want it to be PG and I don't want any zombies. I want it to be just like evil dead and no gore. Yeah. And no gore, but I want it to be just like evil dead. And it's like, do you realize what you that's just said? Not possible. <laughs> and, at all. But that's like, that <laughs> statement is the movie. It was like, this doesn't, yep. but I will say like, it's, so we were talking earlier, one of the things that we was kind of touched on was if this was just Twisted Souls, would it have been a good movie? I don't think it would have been a good movie. We'll obviously never know. I think it would have been a better movie. It would have been a better movie, and I think I it think would it have been... I think it would have been a movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Semi-coherent instead of utterly incoherent. But in and of itself, like, the movie is, it's fun to watch. Yes. Even for the Creon bits that drag on, 
They said it's so nonsensical. It's that visually it's fun. Like, yeah. If this was at a horror weekend, like we mentioned before, we get together a couple times a year and just watch horror movies for a weekend. And then someone said, I want to watch Spookies. I'd be like, yeah, let's watch Spookies. Fuck it. We'd end up talking through half of it, but it'd be great in the background. Yeah. But like, I watched this like four times prepping for this. And it was just like easy. Like, it's an easy watch. Boy, I didn't. One and done. <laughs> Twice. Okay. I, normally, I watch it a little bit more. I just didn't have time and or the inclination or the the just willingness to sit through this again. Because, I mean, all my notes are, what the fuck is this? Just pull a crayon and stop the movie 10 minutes shy of the ending and say, yes, I'm prepared to speak about this in great detail. <laughs> I only watched this once, but I did also listen to interviews with the directors, so that was fun. And plus, you'd seen it a bunch growing up. I was up, younger, obviously. yeah. yeah. I did a lot of research on the Jay, you know, estate, so having sort of lived there but but i mean yeah that's i i can't say i would recommend this but i mean like if you really want to watch a horror movie that's filmed in a former united methodist conference center that has all the scares and spookiness of a united methodist conference center (laughs) this is the film for you a house so not creepy it didn't even scare my wussy ass as a kid and now we offer up the souls as a sacrifice. But first, a hymn. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> Praise him, all creatures here below. <laughs> Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Amen. <laughs> I might almost have to sing the rest of that song like Cartman singing Come Sail Away because it's just in my head now. And he will raise me up on eagle's wings. Bear me on the breath of dawn. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Staunch Methodist Creon. Oh, yeah. Methodist youth pastor. Oh, Creon hanging out with John Wesley, and John Wesley doesn't even want to play poker with him. Oh, it's funny because one of the folks was like, Were you Pastor Creon? This New Testament God is completely incongruous with the Old Testament God, <laughs> and I can't make this all according to God's plan. It's good to be back. I missed you guys. <laughs> I missed you guys. Spookies! Spookies! It's still Creepies. one of my favorite sound bites from any episode. I think it's the Lord of Illusions episode. Just Nick going, Spookies! <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that was the bumper at the end of that episode. Spookies! Spookies! <laughs> you know, for all I talked about that movie, I was like, yeah, check it out. It's fun. My last note, taking notes chronologically, my last note I'm looking at is just, oof. So that kind of betrays them. My my notes are all like Jay and Dogma. Who the fuck is this? What is this? What is she talking about? It's all just what the fuck is with the puppet? Why is Duke wearing a trash bag? He can't live that branch on his own. Why the fuck is meowing when he runs? <laughs> what the fuck happened to that guy's pawn? <laughs> so yeah, that was Spookies. Yay, Spookies! It certainly was. Like I said at the top, I was. You know, we, we went into this and picking this because we thought, you know, it, it would be for a fun return episode. And hopefully it was. I had fun. I like it. I had a great time. And I, I enjoyed looking up all this stuff about the old house. I even looked at some of my old pictures from there, which was kind of fun. So I, I, 
I'm happy to be back. I'm glad we we kicked off our new let's call it a season with Spookies. Let's people know we're still here and we're still about the same dumb shit. If you missed us, know that we missed you too. It's great to be back. And can't wait to bring you some more content. And uh, we'll see where our crazy asses go in the future. Speaking of which... Five-month hiatus, all according to plan. <laughs> if, if, if I recall, we have an event coming up that you're choosing, Eric. We and do. I'm incredibly interested to so, see what this is. Yeah, we still haven't heard what we're watching next. No. Um, so our next episode will probably be the Behind the Mask episode. It's partly edited at this point. So the first pass is done. I always do at least two passes. So that will probably be next. It will probably be out in close conjunction with the episode after that, which will be our fourth annual Doug Jones Day episode. Doug Jones Day! Woo! Love you, Doug Jones! And yeah, so we've ended up each year kind of inadvertently going to land it on every, each of us picks one. So year one, I picked Night Angel. Year two, Jake picked Legion. Which inadvertently read to the time Eric got most mad at me on the podcast when I referred to Constantine as being Legion dumb. I don't know if that, well, top five. I don't know if that's most, but it's, it's top five. <laughs> I, it, you didn't get up and walk away. I'm like still on the, incredulous of it. On the, no, the, the Elm Street one was just for laugh, but yeah, it was. Because I knew it. I knew you were going to come in with that. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so Jake picked Legion, which for the record is dumber than Constantine. And yeah. Nick picked. Disagree. <laughs> Disagree. Totally agree. And Nick picked Hocus Pocus. So essentially it came back around to me. So I will go ahead and reveal what our movie is. Our next movie, and Jake, this is a real movie because I'm holding up a DVD case for it, is <laughs> The Darkling, Aha! starring Aidan Gian and F. Murray Abraham, Yay. and features Doug Jones as Shadowmaster. Oh, my. oh, I'm excited for this. You guys are going to hate me. I'm speaking to, to Jake and Nick. <laughs> you, the listener, hopefully won't, but... Uh, I will state up front this episode, so we'll be putting it out hopefully on Doug Jones Day, which is June the 30th, and this is going to be an episode where we're actually going to kind of walk through the movie plot beat by plot beat, kind of like we used to do like in some of the early episodes. Stuff I'm like spooky, stuff like that, more folks have seen it. This is a straight-to-USA Network movie from August of 2000. This DVD release I picked up which is a European import, appears to just be a VHS rip, but I think it's a legitimate DVD release. <laughs> so when you said it's a real movie, you were lying. <laughs> it's like, I think it's a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it will be The Darkling. Don't bother looking for it. There's videos of it that are online that are in, I think, German. I didn't find an English <laughs> language one online. So we'll walk you through it. So that will be our Doug Jones episode. So yeah, so be behind the mask, then the Darkling. Hopefully that'll be something to look forward to. I'm very excited about it. And yeah, so hopefully there'll be a lot to talk about on that one. Any movie where I can do right now a community connection off the top of my head, which I can do at least two, I'm good with. Yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, there's going to be, I, I touched on it back in Hocus Pocus because I hadn't, at the time we recorded Hocus Pocus, I hadn't watched it yet. But I knew about connections between, I mentioned there were connections between Hocus Pocus and the movie I was looking at. And it's funny, that was one of the things that kind of got me back in the mood to record episodes again, which is, I think I'm in a better mental health space. And then I realized, I was like, I don't want to miss Doug Jones Day. And I was like, oh shit, I should get around to watching that movie I was thinking about. And I was like, oh yeah, we're doing this. So 
Uh, <laughs> holy shit, Todd Bridges is in this. Oh, wait till you see the role Todd Bridges has in it. Yep, so next up, The Darkling. I'm excited. I can't wait. You, you won't be for much longer, but yeah, enjoy it for now. <laughs> shit looks like Born Part 2, The Born Inning. Oh. And we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Thank you so much, as always, for you know everyone who listens and all the support. It's really appreciated. So we're going to start getting back, hopefully, a, a bit more on social media stuff. Probably not as much as we were before, you know, for uh, mental health purposes. But you can find us on Twitter, Scary Stuff Pod. On Instagram, Scary Stuff Podcast. We have the Letterbox page. You can go to our website, scarystuffpodcast.com, and find links to all our stuff there. And yeah, just check us out. And yeah, if you like what you hear, as always, if you want to leave us a review on your preferred pod platform, we'd greatly appreciate it. But most of all, just thank you so much for listening. And yeah, we really hope you enjoyed this chat on Spookies as much as we enjoyed chatting about it. So yeah, we'll be back with a movie that nobody has seen in about a month, but <laughs> well, with a movie many people have seen before that, and then the movie nobody's seen. So behind the mask first. But in the meantime, this is Eric saying thank you again and signing off. This is Nick saying after 70 years, it's so good to be back to podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jake trying really hard to not sing a Methodist hymn as an outro here. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Blah, 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 blah.